0: Okay, I can confirm that we're both we're both on, on? now.
1: Good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just come right out of that again. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, you start. Oh, I I didn't know you were going. Yeah. No, I did this. Oh, I didn't see that. I was blocked by the mic.
0: Hello again. Blocked by the mic. <laughs>
1: I'm Joshua Best. I'm Jacob King. And this is Somebody Somebody else's Else's Favorite Songs. Casual popular music discussion spanning the past 70 years. We talk about the music you love. And the music you should know that you may not.
0: Attention podcast listeners. This is the place where I would normally tell you the number of the episode and the title of the episode, but I feel that I need to come to you with an announcement that this episode is long, passionate at times, crazy much of the time, and there may be some things I need to clarify or cut entirely, you'll get to listen to me do that live. And by the way, yes, that is M.A.S.H. playing. You're hearing that from our lovely downstairs neighbor who plays it very loudly all hours of the night. It is about 11 o'clock, and a new episode is starting. So, this is episode 20. We're choosing to call this Banging on the Bongos like a Chimpanzee. I hope that you'll be patient and enjoy both the podcast, my momentary interjections, and the ongoing day-to-day lives of those at the 4077. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: no, but that, that'd that be real tough
1: uh, that, that do be real tough Doobie? Doobie? What doobie you be? <laughs> Hello, Hello again <laughs> Hi <laughs> <laughs> We're very good at beginnings and openings, are we? No, we're not. We have a difficult time We're not good, at, we're not good at endings either. No, no, we have a real hard time wrapping it up, and the content in the middle is not very good. Other than that... But yet, here we are. Well, yeah, I think we're rolling other than those. The beginning, middle, and end, other than that.
0: We have reached our 20th episode already, hadn't we?
1: Yes, that's a wonderful thing. Very exciting.
0: <laughs> you sound very excited. I... It's I a am, wonderful thing. I'm, very excited. Oh, I did a little bit of that. Robot didn't I? Josh.
1: Uh, we did. Look we at did. That. In tribute since Jacob's been working very hard to retire Robot Jacob, but I have indeed. But maybe uh well we'll just introduce <laughs> Indeed Jacob who will respond to things by saying indeed. <laughs>
0: yeah, you know that is a thing I do and I people think it's weird. I know they do.
1: Well, when we first started doing this in particular and I you know, we still obviously Jacob does most of the editing so he listens to everything. But I, I listen to every every episode and with with both of us I find things that are, are funny that we say a whole lot or the crutches that we have while we're talking and trying Indeed. to think or you know, Indeed. stammering <laughs> or, or
0: word usage. What, overusage yes, over usage of words, hence For, the over uses of phrases
1: over usages of phrases. Yes. Hence the development of the bingo card early on, which I'd still need to update.
0: We but, have a lot of things to update. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we need to we update the
1: website. Yes, the website has not been updated. Um, fortunately, we we have focused on making sure we have an episode available and ready at least every two weeks for our mainline episodes. That is not to say that we will not at times have episodes in between those, uh, but it, it's, it's a chore getting... Uh, Getting one episode of the length and preparing it and editing it and uh, Enough that 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 fills up enough time But it's also a whole lot of fun I, I in particular, had a lot of fun Spent a lot of time watching YouTube videos and such Preparing for this episode Which is, once again, as our last episode was Inspired by or something we decided to do Due to a notable rock and roll death
0: and that is the unfortunate passing of Charlie Watts, a, a notable, legendary drummer, as most people know, except for me, uh, from the Rolling Stones. And I, I say that because I have a confession to make. I think that I was an adult before I knew who Charlie Watts was.
1: Well, everybody in the general public that is even very, uh, has a small familiarity with rock and roll music probably knows who Mick and Keith are.
0: And, and most, it seems like most of the band's promotional stuff and, and all of their um, presence is, is revolving around Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Um, to, to the extent that just like I said, um, I had never heard of anybody named Charlie Watts. I, I guess I never thought to look up the drummer. Of Rolling Stones, I'm. I have never been a huge Rolling Stones fan, so I, I just I don't know.
1: It's interesting the way. What what does the word fan mean? Like I would, or, or what different kinds of fans are there? I guess I should say, I I would definitely consider myself a huge Rolling Stones fan, but not a big album guy i in fact at all i think i have some girls on vinyl and that's about it but they really are not a an album band They're not. i mean exile on main street ends up on a lot of lists and and there are others that, that show up but really they are i i see them as a song band and of course the list of great stone songs even if you don't consider yourself a fan you you know a ton of them.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at. You know, the the word fan is, is short for fanatic, you know. I'm fanatical about the Beatles, but I'm not fanatical about the Rolling Stones. I probably know, you know, just as much as anybody else. They have a long list of great songs that um, have just seeped into pop culture. Yeah. Um, you can't always get what you want. And, you know, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, and Jack Flash. I mean, the list goes on and on of great songs.
1: And the the personnel is interesting, too, because, as, as Jacob said, people generally do think of Mick and Keith. Of course, those that have followed them a little bit more and know a little bit more about them know that they were actually founded by Brian Jones, uh, who, of course, drowned in 1969. And uh, Bill Wyman was the original bassist, and it's, he's
0: been retired for about twenty years, yeah, twenty five years. Yeah,
1: and hasn't played with them in quite a while. So, and, you know, Ronnie Wood joined in the mid seventies or early to mid seventies, and I love I love Ron Wood. Uh, whether he's playing with,
0: he's a crazy chap. That yes, Ron Wood, they and, all are crazy, and an artist.
1: And he he plays with them, plays with Rod Stewart. And always having a, a great time. He he looks like a muppet, uh, <laughs> but so does Keith. They all they all look like muppets at this point. In fact, it's funny. And in, in preparing for this, I was watching some uh, various Stones videos, mostly to watch Charlie play, but just because the the energy they put off is is so you so, so crazy and so exciting and and unique. But I found myself leaning toward enjoying it the older they were. I don't <laughs> like I like the really recent ones because they are are they caricatures? Yes, yes,
0: absolutely. What
1: Mick does, I mean, if you just separate it from its context, it is absolutely ridiculous. But it's at the same time you're like, yeah, this is cool. And they have these massive stages. And they, everything is wireless so that they can just walk around for hundreds of feet sometimes and go different places. And, and Keith's just playing that guitar, and Ron's playing that guitar, and Mix, you know, yeah, he does. He's strutting yeah. around and, you know, shirtless or, or whatever. But something's going on that's holding all this together.
0: It, yes, it would, it would be the meek and mild Charlie Watts.
1: The Gentleman's Gentleman. The gentleman of rock and roll, as he was sometimes called. But the one who's laying down the beat, and that's going to be a theme here, I think, for us, is the way a drummer impacts the sound of a band. Possibly, that's the single greatest impact on the sound of any band, is the drummer.
0: That's an interesting point. I think that is one you could make. I would say that the rhythm section at large um, drives the band, but I actually think that in the Rolling Stones case, it is Charlie Watts that holds it all together. And the song that I probably will choose um, illustrates that. But, you know, everybody is very erratic in the Rolling Stones, everybody except Charlie Watts. Yeah. He... Was just he just played the drums I mean that was his thing and not overly flashy um and not known as somebody who's extremely technical I wouldn't think but somebody who uh came from the jazz world and actually his main interest was was jazz his entire career but he happened to also moonlight as a as a rock and roll drummer
1: <laughs> yeah who never had any interest in being a rock star and in fact did not consider himself a rock star despite the fact that he was the foundational member of the band known as the greatest rock and roll band in the world
0: <laughs> and he wasn't a guy who tried to branch out like another drummer were that i'm going to talk about who became a producer musical director um he very involved in all different kinds of things he wanted to play the drums he didn't get into songwriting he didn't get into you know this and that and the other. He simply played the drums
1: if you follow <clears throat> if you followed the story there was of, of charlie's death you you saw this anecdote, so I'm probably telling people that are Stones fans something I, certainly that they already know, but for those of you who don't. The story that Keith Richards tells, I believe it was in one of his books, but about Charlie having gone to bed. I'm sure you've seen this, Jacob, this this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mick and Keith are partying, and it's like the middle of the night, and, and Mick calls up Charlie and says, Where's my drummer? Yes, where's my drummer? Charlie gets up, showers, shaves, Keith says he could smell his aftershave on him. Puts on his nattiest suit, which is, that's how he was. He was a a, a fashion icon.
0: Well-dressed gentleman.
1: Yes. Goes down to the room where Mick is, grabs him by the lapel, and informs him that he is not his drummer, that he is Charlie's singer, Punches him in the face and goes back to bed. <laughs> I'm not your drummer; you're my singer. It's been told many times, but it's 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 that's, that's a him. fun story. Yeah, just imagine the time him calmly. I mean, I could see his. He has such a unique face. I mean, he's a handsome guy, but it, it's it's a unique face, and I can just picture him as he's dutifully getting ready. And I wonder, as he's sitting there shaving and fixing his hair, is he thinking, I'm going to go down there and punch him in that massive mouth? Or, (laughs) I I mean, what's going through his mind? But it's just, it's hilarious. But uh, I find myself a, a lot of times listening to what Charlie is doing when I listen to the Stones. Because, no, it's not flashy, it's not drum solos, but it is so rock solid, and he is a player that well you can play a stone song that Charlie doesn't play on and and there are some and they sound very different. And as they move forward I'm sure that the stones will not sound exactly like the stones anymore. Yeah they'll still be Mick, yeah they'll still be Keith and Ron, but without Charlie they'll be, be different. Do you have an example of that Charlie Watts stone sound for us, Jacob?
0: Well let me just go ahead and play it. Um, I actually had two songs picked out um, to showcase. And and by the way, let me go back uh, and say that this is the theme for today. Josh is going to play a song by Charlie Watts, or showcasing Charlie Watts, and so will I. And then we will go on to each select four more songs uh, from four other drummers. So that's what the episode's going to be about. Uh, But let me go back to my Charlie Watts choices. I actually going thinking back through the years have not paid a whole lot of attention whole lot of attention to Charlie Watts as a drummer. Um as I already told you I didn't know who he was forever for forever. But I had to go back and listen to all those great stone songs that I've always loved and you know what there is there is a there is a a definite heartbeat of the band. It is Charlie Watts. Yeah. Uh so let me go ahead and play you this one.
1: This is one of my favorite Stones songs. It is just everything that's great this, about this band. This is Charlie Watts. It's the only sure thing the whole song. Everything else is all song. in the place. King real- just one of my favorite Stone songs. It is so great. It's classic. And Charlie starts it off. Well, the the guy playing the cowbell starts it off, but Charlie sets the tone with that booming beat just coming right at you to start. And
0: and he lays it down the entire song. He's the only constant instrument the entire song.
1: Everything else is just kind of coming in and out, and and it's not playing. I mean, the verses have the drums. And Keith noodling on the guitar yeah. and Mick singing. The bass is not playing. Nope, only in the choruses. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's great.
0: You have Keith Richards with his guitar, Macabre, most likely, in open G, playing, uh, it's a classic um, guitar part. Mick Jagger gives you a great vocal. I mean, it's it's one of my favorite Stones, probably my favorite Rolling Stones song, to be honest.
1: It's, it's, it encapsulates, particularly from that time frame, everything that made them great. And it's definitely, that's definitely one of my favorites, but there's Charlie doing his thing. Yep. And you, you see how he holds that, which easily could have been a huge mess. Oh yeah. He holds that together and drives it along. What a, what a great one. Um, I don't know what else I don't can you say? Else say. Yeah. What else can <laughs> you say about that? Sometimes you play these, some of these things and, you know, I mean, what are we going to say? Are we going to talk about the poetry of the lyrics? Well, no, they're yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> we might not ought to touch those. But you know, there's there's several Stone songs that you know maybe we'll just let let the listener decide what the lyrics are about. <laughs> if you don't know, and go from there.
0: Now, I have to say, we, we may see this with Josh's selection, but um, if you, the, the Rolling Stones have been recording albums forever. I mean, they never yeah. really they never really broke up and got back together like a lot of bands. Not do. significantly, no. Uh, so you know, they've done some rock and roll. They've done you know maybe some discoy stuff. I think of the sure. song "Miss You" yeah, is yeah. a great one. And then they've done like this really overproduced '80s type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm thinking of, and the other song I was wanting to play was "Undercover of the Night." Okay, a very overproduced song. Um, heavy, you know, sort of bass in there. But you also, Charlie Watts in that song is still doing his own thing. Like as is, is much, I used the word overproduced much of times just a second ago, but as much as that was it, and it was a very 80s sound with lots of echo and um, weird stuff, Charlie Watts was still holding down the drum part um, in his own way. Like he didn't necessarily join them in there Right. In their modern endeavors, he still held the song down, um, just like any other song,
1: and did that for darn near close to sixty years. Fifty-eight
0: years, <laughs> he was in the band.
1: That that's that's wild. So my the, the the song the song that I'll play probably not to Jacob's surprise at all, but it for me it's a feel song from Charlie that. Even though the interplay between the guitars is maybe what's most out front, if you if you really stop and listen, it's the drums that make the song work. And I'm talking about, from some girls, Beast of Burden.
0: Oh, yeah, I knew you were going to play that one.
1: Just the coolest thing. You see the videos of those two guys, Keith and Mick, and you get down to the end and they're doing the never, never, na-, back and forth. And, and Keith just rolled his head back, and that guitar is like down, down to the floor. Down to the floor. floor. The floor. <laughs> Another guy who slings his guitar so low. It's, it's a crazy thing that works so well. And in this song, it is just almost the ultimate cool rock and roll song to me. But what makes it happen? That that Charlie backbeat. Yep. And the syncopation that he gets through the song, while the bass is more prominent in this song than it was in Honky Tonk Women. <laughs> yes. And that is an important part. But really, you've got two guitarists here just playing lead yeah. back and forth through the whole song.
0: Yeah, you were saying that this, you know, um, Honky Tonk Women and Beast of Burden are kind of like 1A and 1B. And I think that... Um, the common thread is Charlie Watts laying it down the whole track because, um, yeah, bass more prominent on this song, but there's no rhythm guitar. It's just kind of dueling guitars. Um, And, I mean, everything is kind of erratic.
1: Legend has it, this was shortly after Ronnie Wood joined the band. Legend has it that people said there's no way that band could hold two guitarists of their, their caliber. And allegedly... This song was specifically because you've got Ronnie playing out of one channel and Keith playing out of the other to throw in their face. Yes, this will work, and here's how it will work. Yeah, And it's so cool. What what is? I mean, again, kind of caricatures of themselves. But who uh, who writes a song and and starts going pretty 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 pretty? Girl, and and it works. I I don't know. I just I've always liked it. I absolutely think it's fantastic. But it really shows what Charlie adds and and how he can be funky. And that is a definite funky song. You cannot sit still.
0: No, you can't. You
1: cannot sit still when really either of those two songs uh, are playing. If if I was going to play another one to focus on. Uh, Charlie, I would, I would actually probably go to a time, also go to a time in in the band that is maybe not quite as as highly thought of, but where at this point they're putting Charlie out there uh, musically and saying, yeah, okay, this this is the guy, and I'd probably play something like um, Mixed Emotions from Steelers Wheel. Um, Steeler's Wheel? That's not what it's called. Steeler's Wheel is a band. From <laughs> Steel Wheels. There you go. <laughs> the the brain the brain gets it close sometimes. Like Charlie Watts played with Jerry Rafferty? <laughs> I was close. Steel wheels and mixed emotions, because his drum sound on that is is pretty pretty solid. So Charlie Watts.
0: I am struck by The fact that we have lost Dusty Hill and now Charlie Watts and countless other musicians the last couple of years that have gone. And, uh, you know, nobody lives forever. And so it won't be before too long. All our favorite musicians will um, all have passed away. Yeah. Which, you know, I guess that's sort of a somber note. But, you know, that is what strikes me as, you know, these guys have been around for so long—fifty-eight years—playing rock and roll music.
1: You mean you know somebody who, particularly, who's been in rock and roll his whole life? But you know, the death of someone at eighty—it can't really be said to be a shock. Yeah. But you know, people just continue to bemoan the deaths of all these legendary performers, and, and rightfully so. It it, it it stinks. I never saw. I have never gone to see the Stones. I don't know why. It's. It's a great and and just like I said with ZZ Top, I'm not saying I wouldn't go see Mick Keith and Ronnie because I would, but it's not the same. I don't really feel like I will have gone to see the Stones without without Charlie, just like I won't really feel like I've gone to see ZZ Top without Dusty.
0: Well, I think that's the 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 loss of Dusty Hill is even more evident with ZZ Top. Oh, it absolutely is. Three guys, and you know, I'm sure that Elwood Francis will do fine. Uh, But it's certainly not the same. It won't be. I mean, the Stones have been going for 30 years with, um, I I believe his name is Daryl Jones on bass, and it's just because, um, you know, uh, the the bass player since the beginning, he just wanted to retire.
1: Yeah, Bill Wyman retired, used to play his bass straight up in the air. (laughs) Yes, that is true as well. Interesting little look. But, but, it, yeah, but it's so just going to keep you happening, can, is you can, your point. Yeah. And
0: you can get by with, with Daryl Jones on bass. You know, you still have Charlie Watts and Keith Richards and Mick Jagger, Ronnie Wood. But now without Charlie Watts, it's it's one more notch. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, uh, Steve Jordan will do a tremendous job because Steve Jordan is one of the greats um, and has been involved with various members of the Stones for a while now. Right. But it's still not, not going to be the same. Yeah.
1: But yeah, he Jacob is right. It, it's just going to keep happening. These guys are in their a lot of them are in their seventies or on up in their eighties already, and so uh, it will it will be a theme for however long we do this podcast that we're going to be doing tribute episodes <laughs> because as he said, nobody lives forever, and these people that came up in the sixties, we're losing them, and we're going to keep losing them, and that's that's a shame.
0: Well. On that note, then, as a continuing tribute to Charlie Watts, we would like to, as I said, discuss some other drummers. And so first I would like to ask you, Josh, what makes a good drummer? What do you think?
1: So earlier I said that perhaps no one more than the drummer impacts the overall sound of the band. There's only one drumming sin to me, as far as the influence on the band and the sound of the band, there's only one drumming sin.
0: Is that overplaying?
1: No. You can overplay and be great. What you can't ever do is be boring.
0: Oh, you mean like Don Henley type of situation? I,
1: I, think, <laughs> I, I think. I, I think. That, that I knew you would say that. But I, I think that the Eagles records could be better, as good as they are, with a better drummer, yes, if, I, I think so. It, it, it is perfectly fine. Do not get me wrong. You're a garage band. You know, you are a singer, and you just have some backing or whatever. You you can have a timekeeper, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I've seen a lot of shows that literally just have somebody with a snare drum keeping time. You know, with brushes or something. I mean, we've seen this a lot, and it can be that can be really good. But I am talking about basically a rock band and the influence of the drummer on that and the rule number one is don't be boring that is
0: a good point i think you answered my question um and yeah you know i love to make fun of don henley uh i'll continue to do so (laughs) i think yes he is a boring drummer that's a better term boring okay because obviously don henley is good enough because he is well recorded he's he's well recorded. I mean, he is good enough to record albums as a drummer and tour and all that. Yes. But as far as if you look at each member of the Eagles, um and their musicianship, he's easily the weakest musician in the group. He is. You think about how great Don Felder is. Well of course. Yeah, that's, that's where he makes he up is. for it. Yeah. But they they could have just got somebody else. I don't know.
1: I, I love the song I can't tell you why because it's a Yacht Rock staple. And I love Timothy B. Schmidt, but the drums are comical.
0: That's actually, that's I have to say, that song is probably probably my favorite Eagles song. Yeah. And I, I just, because I love the vocal and I love the guitar playing, um, the keys. But yeah, the drums are so weak. They are robotic. They are. It, it is. It, that's it's the laughable. word for it. It's, it's
1: robotic. You know, there is, so when you talk about drummers, there are there are some things I think we should probably define a little bit. Now, I'm not a drummer. Jacob is a little bit of a drummer. In fact, he is a pretty good drummer. Um, he is not our regular drummer in any of the incarnations of our band. Uh, <laughs> but there have been situations where he has has sat down and played, and he can play the drum. So he may have more input on some of this than I do from a technical standpoint. But I feel like we should talk about some other things, besides my rule number one, don't be boring, that sort of will inform and help explain the, the drummer. For example, one of the things is swing. D- does the drummer swing?
0: Well, I mean, it don't mean to think if it ain't got that swing. <laughs> so what... What that actually... How would you describe swing? So this is really strange because I, I'm i trying to figure out how to put this in perspective. I'm trying to think back in 10th grade when I was in jazz band for the first time, uh, the band director, our director, Mr. Rollins, tried to explain to us what swing was because we would look at a chart and it would simply be written out, eighth notes, just how it is. But we're coming from marching band and all that. We're just reading it straight, like one and two and three and four and... Which is pretty
1: important when you're a marching band.
0: Yes, (laughs) but he had to teach us that it's more of a, um, like a a syncopation almost, just like you were saying, Josh. It's kind of like um, a dotted eighth note and an eighth note. It's lazy, but you can't
1: notate that. You have to teach... um, He had to teach us how to feel it. Right, and that is really what swinging is about it's about a feel and it's lazy and, and you can't and you can't write it out
0: and so instead of one and two and three and four and it's like one and two and three uh four uh one, one uh two. two yeah yeah so it's 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 something different in there yeah
1: and when you want when you want something to not be so straight you could just tell a drummer swing that a little bit and, and don henley didn't understand. It, clearly not understand <laughs> clearly but there there are other things, and we won't go into trying to defining a bunch of terms but uh, that are very important. Uh, the groove, yes, for example the groove, the backbeat, the pocket, uh, a, a shuffle, these kinds of things, uh, different sorts of beats that have different names. There's all sorts of things that that make up what a drummer brings to the table, and I don't know about Jacob. I, I'm pretty sure his will be the same. My selections run the gamut of types of drummers.
0: I think so. I,
1: I in rock, and in I, rock. let me just say that up front. I I did not select any jazz drummers, which you could go down that rabbit hole all day of great players. Or any country drummers, I've selected rock drummers.
0: Yeah, I don't think we explicitly said that. No. But that's where Josh and I both, um, that's our bread and butter music is rock and roll. And I know some jazz drummers um, like, uh, you know, Buddy Rich is one of the greatest drummers ever and super technical and could play um, the heck out of anything. But um, that's not the style that we're about um, primarily. So yes, I, I did try to look at some different stuff, some different songs. Mainly, I wanted to highlight my favorite drummers. Uh, so, um,
1: I wanted to highlight a couple of my my favorite drummers, and I wanted to highlight a couple of drummers. If yeah, that makes well, any sense. Yeah,
0: and I kind of did that mm-hmm. with one. I, I bet I know who you're gonna choose when you're thinking about highlighting drummers. If if we um, if
1: we picked the same one on that, it will work very well. Well, I'm sure but we will wait for that moment and see as it is time to jump into the list proper.
0: And I just want to say if there happens to be any drummers who are listening who play the drums, I mean, yes, I play the drums, I really enjoy it, but I'm not very technical. Like I can, I like to listen to the song and play it back. So I'm not, I was Which is a
1: great talent, folks. I mean, it really is. I, I, I can do a rudimentary beat or two on the drums, but my, my muscles get tight, and <laughs> and I cannot relax it, and I I would not be able to swing it cor- correctly. So.
0: <laughs> well, I'd, all all that is to say is that I was not like a percussion. I didn't do percussion in high school, and so I can't read the notation, and I don't know all the like paradiddles and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, just a disclaimer. So
1: paradiddles,
0: yeah, that's the thing. Uh, so go ahead, Josh, first election. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a real thing. I a know paradiddle. it's
1: still a funny word. Paradiddle. <laughs> paradiddle doo. What's your first selection, Josh? Ouch.
0: Well, I guess this would be your 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 second selection.
1: Well, you know, Charlie Charlie's the the intro, so we'll 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 each be picking four, as as Jacob said. Uh, I want to I want to start off just by playing something.
0: Okay. I called that one immediately. What
1: you heard there was an isolated drum track of a portion of The Who's great anthem, Who Are You? And no surprise to anyone. (laughs) I have definitely selected Keith Moon as probably my favorite drummer and the one I cite as the greatest drummer of all time, ouch! From ouch. the who, ouch. Keith Moon. I'm
0: gonna have to disagree on that one. Well, but you
1: feel free to disagree. Keep going. but you know there's a lot of people these days that seem to revel in being wrong. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> including yourself with that, uh, with that characterization of Keith Moon as the greatest ever.
1: He is the greatest rock and roll drummer. He is ever. not. He is not. Period. No question exclamation point.
0: I don't think I've ever disagreed with you so so much on this show.
1: Well you'll get your turn <laughs> yes
0: I'll have to ta- I'll have to pick mine next who is actually the greatest drummer so go ahead so,
1: <laughs> so the story is told about how Keith Moon joined the Who which was basically walking up to the band and saying I'm a better drummer than him. Sitting down and playing the rest of the show, and then playing with the Who for the rest of his life. I didn't know that. Yes, and I do not believe there was much formal training. He didn't practice. Didn't even have a kid at his house.
0: He just he just had that thing, he, and he could
1: play. He was working at, at that time at what is it a clothing store. Uh, uh, no, he was selling plaster. And when he went up there that night, he like busted the drums, not on purpose. I mean, he just played them so hard that they, that some of them broke, the pedals broke. And so after it's over, he's a little worried, you know, well, what did I just do? And Daltrey comes up to him and says, what are you doing next Monday? And it's like, well, nothing. And he said, well, you're going to have to give up work. We've got a gig on Monday. And that was it. <laughs> and Keith said that they never actually asked him to join the band. There was never any formal agreement. It was like, hey, all, we, got, we got a place to be. And from then on, until his death, he was the drummer. And he didn't really care about, like, like some of these people we're going to talk about have played on thousands of records. He wanted to be the Who's drummer. That's all he cared about. And, uh, well, that and living up to his nickname of Moon the Loon. Of course, the stories are legion and legendary. Oh, man. Blowing up... Uh, toilets was a particular favorite, first with cherry bombs, then eventually with dynamite.
0: I believe he also liked to throw TV sets out of windows. Uh,
1: yes. Uh, there is a very famous story where they're leaving to go to the airport, and he demands that the limo driver turn around and drive like half an hour back to the hotel, goes in, throws the TV out the window, comes back and says, I almost forgot, and there they go.
0: I think they he probably pioneered the whole the whole stereotype of of rock and rollers destroying hotel rooms in their wake.
1: Yes, and no one's ever been better. He also pioneered um, just general onstage destruction as entertainment. Um, even though it was Pete who did it first by accident, I, I think he was had a low ceiling and he rammed his guitar through it, <laughs> and so. But but of course, it became a thing at the end of who shows to. For for Roger to smash his excuse me for um, Pete to smash his guitar and for Keith to just knock the drums over and just destroy them and throw things and he would put explosives inside the drum kit. Uh, There's a very famous clip uh, from the Smothers Brothers uh, show that he got too much gunpowder loaded into his kit and the kit blows up and. (laughs) Everybody kind of runs off, and it, it like damaged Pete's hearing to this day. He he was an entertainer at every moment, but what he really loved was being the Who's drummer. And Pete said it best when he said that he is the lead drummer for the Who. That that is accurate. He does not play like anyone else. He plays at times nobody else would play he puts fills in places nobody else would fill them and creates the sound of the who there are songs that I like from face dances and from um uh the album before face dances the first one they did after he came out uh, after Keith died um, I can't remember it um, it's the one that's got You Better You... No, it doesn't. That's on Face Dances. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, Eminence Front is on... Anyway, the two albums they did with Kenny Jones, they're fine. And I like Eminence Front. I like You Better You Bet. But then it didn't quite sound like The Who. Not without Keith doing his thing. So, uh, stories could be told. The bottom line is, after they recorded Who's Next, they took a couple of years break. Uh, before they started working on Quadrophenia, which those two albums, top-notch, wonderful rock and roll albums. Quadrophenia uh, preceded by Who's Next. And Keith couldn't handle it. And that was when he really went, went downhill and developed the strong alcohol and drug problems because literally all he wanted to do was play drums for The Who. Mm-hmm. And so I'll... I'll go. Uh, here, here we go, here, Keith Moon. I suppose as a drummer, I'm adequate. I've got no real aspirations to be a great drummer. I just want to play drums for the Who, and that's it. That's really that cool. Is,
0: <laughs> that is a lot of focus. And he uh, talk about you. You might hear the term "wall of sound" described when thinking of, of Keith Moon because he he really did. Um, he he really did use his time very well. Lots of. Um, Interesting and erratic fills. Yes, uh, the fills carry on a little bit too long sometimes. Um, you kind of get some weird stuff with with how he feels it, especially in the in your example. Yes, um, which great job finding an isolated uh, drum track. I'm going to have to do that with my next one. But that his drumming, you know, makes that song as well, much as you know.
1: Yeah, and what he would what he would do though. Is because okay, he and Ginger Baker are the two that first started using double bass drums. And they are credited together as being the ones that made that prominent in, in in rock music, using two bass drums. But he also, as time went on, his kit just continued to grow and grow and grow, and he would just hit whatever drum. I don't even know if he was thinking I want this sound here and I want that sound there. I think he just wanted different drums everywhere so that no matter where he hit he got a unique sound and he would he wasn't a great timekeeper he would he would move the song faster or slow it down yeah, And everybody had to stay with him because honestly seriously, not he was not guiding the band like Charlie Watts was, which was keeping them right there in there where they needed to be. Keith was driving the Who and they all had to follow him.
0: Well, I think actually the bass was the drums in the Who. I mean, don't you agree? Well, okay, John Entwistle He was the timekeeper.
1: The greatest bass player ever.
0: I mean, I'm not gonna disagree on that one. Okay, fine. <laughs> you made that I'm, you made that claim just so I would counter it, I
1: guess. Well no, I'm just I was just throwing it out there. I'm not countering that. He was the timekeeper. Well, in a sense in a sense, he held it together. Mm. I, that's I should say it that way. Um, Keith was the accelerator. John was the steering wheel. How about that? Mm. Yeah, I like that.
0: Hood. I like that
1: because he keeps them in the lane, but they have to. They still have to follow Keith because they're never quite sure what he's going to do, and at times. I'm sure that was very difficult but they could do it. They could all play together and create a unique sound that never before and never since I I love the Who. And this is one of two great examples of of Keith's drumming as as part of a song that just Blow Me Away. Yeah. The first one could have been I Can See for Miles. That's a great example of his drumming as a signature part of a song. This one is my favorite example of his drumming as uh, just entirely unique playing. And this is a song from Who's Next called Bargain.
2: best I ever had The best I ever
3: had. I sit looking round I look up my face in the mirror I know I'm worth nothing One and one don't make two, one and one make one, and I'm looking for that free ride to me, I'm looking for you.
0: I don't think I've ever heard that song before.
1: So it's it's become a classic rock radio deep cut staple. Kind of like an open secret among classic rock radio listeners, which ultimately I don't do that much anymore. I, I used to all the time. Even though that if you had to pick one genre that we're talking about, that's probably it. It's probably what we talk
0: about uh, <laughs> most, whether we mean to or not. Yeah.
1: But this is a great example of, I guess I finally, I, I, I thought of what I really like about the Who, and that is controlled chaos.
0: Yeah, that's it. And mm-hmm. when I listen to this song, I, as I said, probably for the first time, <clears throat> it's, it sounds just like his drumming on Won't Get Fooled Again and uh, Who Are You? It's erratic, it's lots of fills, uh, normally the symbol gets hit on one, but then you get some on the end of four, the end of two. Um, you know, a lot of times snare is on two and four in a typical beat, but then you get some snare on one and the end of three. Like I'm, I'm hearing all kinds of of chaos. Really, as you describe it, very well. Yes,
1: it is controlled chaos, and it's like Keith did not hear the music in or the rhythm in eight beats. A good drummer hears it in sixteen beats. I think he hears it in thirty-two or sixty-four beats. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> because I just he think... always finds a place. And it, like I said, controlled chaos. What I'm saying is, I like about this is that it it sounds like at any moment it could completely fall well, apart. That's,
0: yeah, that was my next point. I was going to make was you know I think, you know, especially hearing your description of him and he just wanted to be a drummer. Um, wanted to play with the who he obviously had a tremendous feel he felt the song he felt the beat but there there comes a point um when you're doing feels like that where you're gonna you're gonna get out of time mm-hmm. you know you're gonna fall apart if you yeah if you can't make it back to to one um, or make it back to where wh- whatever beat he wanted to get to. If you can't make it back there on time, then you you start to get messed up yes. really quickly. It
1: will just completely disintegrate. So and that that's why I just don't think there's anybody that played like he did.
0: No, he did. I don't think so. But I still don't think he was the greatest drummer well, ever.
1: That's why. That's why I say he was was the greatest <laughs> because nobody played like him. Uh, he had his own thing, and I have always been. A, a, as long as I can remember, a huge Who fan, I still am. Who? Who?
0: Oh, yeah, right. The, the Who.
1: Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a total Annette King thing. My mom, she'll do that. Who?
1: Who? Oh, as always, Who? And then yeah. we had Guess Who. Anyway, I love Keith Moon. I love The Who. I think he is the greatest. Because no one was like him. Because he did things that nobody else has ever done. And for me, he stands alone. That was Keith Moon from The Who, my favorite drummer, period. So we're going to get one from Jacob now, who is going to provide a counterpoint.
0: Yes, uh, we are staying on the same island So I think that almost everybody on my list are British drummers, and that's how I came up. That was my introduction to rock and roll, really, was the Beatles and all the British stuff. And Keith Moon is great, and Rolling Stones ranks him highly, even though the Rolling Stones lists are kind of stupid. There is one thing that I agree with on Rolling Stones. They have their list of greatest drummers of all time. By the way, I want to say it's not very fair to put rock drummers and jazz drummers. I don't think it's fair to put them together because, you know, for instance, Buddy Rich should be a lot higher than like 14 or whatever. Yeah,
1: that's very difficult to do. So
0: you can't really compare drummers that well. Anyway, they put John Bonham at number one, greatest drummer. I think John Bonham is the greatest um, rock and roll
1: drummer and... Not that not that we're exactly going out on uh, a limb with either of those. No, selections. It's, it's not. It's not like it's not like they're hot takes or anything. Let me tell you something I came up with.
0: Yeah, I mean this this is not going to be in dispute really. But um, I think John Bonham is the greatest, and um, I'm going to try to put together some trickery to show you all why. So what you've just heard is, like I called it, some trickery. You've heard a whole lot of love by Led Zeppelin, and you got some isolated drum parts in there. Man, John Bonham, he can hit. He hits them drums. Man. Yes,
1: yes. What a powerful player. That's uh,
0: that's something that strikes me every time I hear Led Zeppelin. Is he appears to hit the drums so hard, and he has such a such a different sound as well. And that yeah. that actually comes down to um, some recording stuff, the way they mic the drums, and the way, and actually, I, I learned that, um, I believe on this album, it's Glenn Johns doing a lot of that. Actually, Glenn Johns helped to mix and engineer the first album, but I do believe he was integral to setting up, uh, John Bonham's drum sound on that album, which would have carried over, um, to albums after that. Oh, really? He, he ends up, you know, doing some Eagles stuff, um, Don, Don Henley.
1: And Glenn Johns worked with the Beatles. Yes. Uh, did did a couple of mixes of the Get Back album in the uh, summer of 69 that are in the news, but we'll talk about that later.
0: I mention uh, The Eagles because he produced, I believe, their first two albums, Glenn Johns did, and Don Henley didn't like the way he wanted to mic his drums. Uh, the way that Glenn Johns did it... Um, but did he
1: didn't want to not put any mics he, on his drums yeah, at all. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> He would just get mics to sort of mic the room
1: and, Oh yeah, yeah. and
0: he you know a lot of old school a lot of the way people do now is they mic each individual yes drum. everyone uh, but i believe he only mic'd the bass drum and he he put some mics in the space around the drums um and that's how you hear especially in this song what sounds like a deliberate echo but it's simply the room yeah. I mean, it just it it sounds so big and loud and powerful because of of the way they mic the drums up.
1: And as as good as that sounds when you play a digital recording, when you play the analog vinyl record on the appropriate equipment, that's the only way you can get the feel of the room yeah. as it was in yeah. the room.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely
1: and yeah. i like i like that characterization and i did not know about that that difference it makes perfect sense i uh, we've talked a little bit about led zeppelin and how we don't listen to a lot of led zeppelin i i had explained that for me that was just because of all the years listening to classic, classic rock, rock radio, radio in the I 90s it for you i i listened to it so much that i just kind of ran out of need to listen to it but I think of a song, you talk about being Bonzo being a big drummer, I think of a song like When the Levy Breaks, which is one of my favorites. I
0: was just about to mention that song.
1: It, it is.
0: That has to be man. one of the greatest in, intros. You know, and again, it's the drums sound so big and loud and you get that echo. Uh, man, it is, it is powerful to hear that.
1: Uh, of that's that's one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs. I would definitely put "When the Levee Breaks" right. up there. I've, I've also mentioned before I really like "Heartbreaker," "Living, Love, and Made" mm-hmm. uh, as a as a set. Um, uh, he was
0: someone who, like the two drummers you mentioned previously, Ginger Baker, um, Ginger Baker and Keith Moon, uh, all three of these guys, their drum sets got bigger and bigger and bigger experimenting with all kinds of stuff. I know that Bonham used larger drums, a larger bass drum than usual, larger toms, um, larger cymbals, and that that contributes to his drum sound as well, but I think it's it's unique. It's big and loud, forceful, and he is absolutely a pocket drummer. Um, And again, it makes it clear with this song, getting those isolated tracks, the isolated drumming, just how much he was in the groove on top of it. He mm-hmm. he never got off of that. So I it's awesome. It's yeah. awesome.
1: Yeah. I, I I'm not gonna begrudge anybody you know, putting him on on a list or in this discussion. He absolutely one hundred percent belongs there. I
0: mean Led Zeppelin is a super group, let's just face it. And and so integral was he um, to this to the sound and to the band that they broke up after he died. I mean, yeah. that was it. They couldn't go on without him. Uh, and when they got together, um, they played some shows in two thousand five, I believe. Something like that. And they that. did it with Jason Bonham, his son. And he, uh, I've seen some like bootlegs of that show. Mm-hmm. Like he, he can play too. Yeah. And and plays well. They, I guess, clearly they they really wanted to you know, stay true to themselves and not try to go on with somebody else. Like, there was no other drummer for them than John Bottom.
1: I I, I could appreciate that. Not
0: to begrudge, you know, the Who kept on. They ended up getting Zach Starkey.
1: Yeah, he's been, he's actually probably been Pete and Roger's drummer longer than anybody else. he has. Because it was Kenny Jones from Small Faces that originally took over. But yeah, Ringo's, Ringo's boy's been with Pete and Roger a long time. Uh,
0: some bands carry on, and that's fine, you know. Uh, but some bands can't, and Led Zeppelin didn't.
1: Robert Plant has a house in Austin. Uh, yeah. yeah. Lives down there. Uh, I have a...
0: Well, this is extremely random.
1: A friend w- who works for one of my customers in Oklahoma, who's from Austin, who's, who saw Robert Plant at Home Depot one day. <laughs> in Austin. That's fine. <laughs> I was like, Really? He's like, I'm looking down the aisle at the Home Depot, and oh, there oh, is Robert. Robert Plant. Robert Plant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that like, is crazy, man. What did you do?
1: What What did you do? He's like, well, I just said, "Hello, Robert Plant." You're Robert Plant. He's like, "Yep." <laughs> <laughs> uh, we just needed some, you know, screws or whatever, so I just came down to pick them up. Very cool. <laughs> They were like remodeling their house or something. There's lots
0: of long-headed, long-haired gents around Austin. I'm sure he blends in. (laughs)
1: Can you imagine all these people working on rock legend Robert Plant's house? We need... Oh, we're we're out of wood screws. (laughs) I'll go get some. Check it, mate. I'll get it for you. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's pretty funny. Great, great, great selection. If 1A, 1B, put them however you want. I'm going to, as I've said before... I'm gonna put Ginger Baker right up there with these guys, but you can't go wrong with any of them.
0: I want to I want to leave John Bonham with another song, which I am strategically I'm gonna play just a little bit of it, but I'm strategically hoping that this foreshadows one of Josh's Josh's selections, and we'll find out. Interesting. This is a song called "Fool in the Rain." Just for the record, I know that if you listen to Sirius XM, you'll probably hear this song about six times a day. It is a party song, but, uh... After I said that, Josh looked at me in a very quizzical manner like he didn't know what I was saying. And of course, he didn't know what I was saying, but just don't worry, I wasn't saying anything too weird. That's gonna be important later. Not so much as it is overplayed. So anyway, uh, Josh, what is your next selection?
1: Okay. So this is this is quickly becoming list of dead drummers. <laughs> but I'm I'm going to go with the other first person I thought of. Now, keeping in mind, I feel like I've talked about Ginger Baker before, and so I didn't put him on the list. I've already said how how fond I am of Jin, of Ginger Baker's playing. Just like I've talked about how fond I am of Ringo's playing and what he did. So, I wanted to highlight Like I said, some of my other favorites or certain things about certain players. So I'm going to go with, after Keith Moon, the one that I thought of next. And that is a fella from Southern California named Richie Hayward. (laughs) <laughs> almost almost If you if you do Richie H A on your Google search, you'd get Richie Havens, of course. I, I got them I got them backwards. <laughs> but Richie Hayward was the drummer for Little Feet. And perfectly exemplifies what I have done, at least in the beginning here, of band defining sounds, which I wanted to kind of stick with a little bit. The Who sound most like The Who when Keith Moon is drumming. And Little Feet sounds like Little Feet, one of my favorite bands all time, when Richie is behind the kit. Now, he died in 2010 uh, of, of cancer. Uh, I believe it was liver cancer. And so he's been he's been gone for a while now. But his feel and where he plays and when he plays... Gives a funkiness to the Little Feet sound that is unique. They just don't sound like anybody else, and they are again another band. Of course, Little George founded the band. Richie was in the band from the very beginning.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, he was in Little Feet from formation until he died. Uh, very, and of course, you know, Little George only lived, you know, what ten years or so past when Little Feet founded, and they refounded. I've told that story before. You have. But I've not seen any, obviously never saw Little George, because I was a kid when he died, but I've not seen any version of them. And for a band that I like so much, I really, really regret that. Richie not only played with Little Feet, but he played with everyone else. Eric Clapton, Ry Cooter, the Doobie Brothers, Bob Dylan, Peter Frampton, Buddy Guy, Arlo Guthrie, Barbara Streisand, Taj Mahal, Robert Palmer, Bob Seger, Linda Ronstadt, Carly Simon. You get the idea. Uh, Warren zevon uh, He played with everybody. And he is a fantastic drummer. So a lot of time you want to play air drums. And I've done this with with certain songs. I think it's it's good here. Just try to, if you know anything about music, just, just try to drum along with this and see if you ever hit the, the or get excited when you hit the, the snare at the same time he does. This is the leadoff track from Little Feet's second album. This is Easy to Slip. Number of Little Feet songs I could go to for demonstrating what a fascinating and great player Richie was, but I picked this one specifically because it is very much a Rolling Stone style song. And I really think
0: so. Listening to it for the first time, I don't know if I've heard that before. By the way,
1: that's that's a it's a great Little Feet song. Not a not a hit. It's an album opener, but. You know, it's not going to be, you know, Dixie Chicken or something like that that more people would know. But it's got the honky-tonk women lick in it. And so what you can almost do is hear how two great drummers handle a similarly structured song and give it a completely different feel. I mean, some of the guitar riffs are exactly the same from the two songs. Yeah,
0: the the sus-4, you know, lick. Is um yeah definitely a Keith Richards thing. Yes,
1: and and Lowell uses that here, and the feel is just completely different. And I, not being a drummer, can't really describe that. It's a groove. It's funky. Well, it's funky. That's what it is.
0: I'll tell you what I, <clears throat> I'll tell you what I think it is. Um, people who listen to the radio, which is everybody, uh, they get this. Uh, you know, four on the floor type of thing. Mm -hmm. One and two and three and four. So um, you heard me emphasize the two and four because that's where you hear the snare in a very standard um, rock beat, um, you know, which is almost every song ever. Yes. Um, But the feel can be changed by alternating where you get those snare hits. And so you heard it in this song. They're all over the place and they're different every time. Mm And so, when you're expecting to hear the snare on one, two, three, four, it, when you don't get that, it changes the feel. It's a totally different thing entirely. And
1: so, when you do get the snare, which might be on two, might be on four, might be on, it could be on the, one, on one. Sometimes Richie even plays it on an and.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, and it it gives a an emphasis to that syllable that you're not expecting. And that's where but being funky comes from.
0: But it doesn't allow you to it doesn't allow you to sit down into the beat because no. you're like I said. I mean you're gonna ex- you're gonna keep you're gonna expect it on certain beats, but you're not gonna get it. And so it 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 it's weird.
1: What you it's will weird. not find yourself doing listening to a song like that is bobbing your head. Yeah. Okay. Like you will. With so many songs that have that two and four beat, You're, you you find yourself moving your head up and down. When when Little Feet is playing, you don't do that. You just kind of, you just kind of rock back and forth a little bit. Yeah, because cause... you never know when that emphasis is going to come. And and I mean, I guess that's what makes Funk so danceable. I'm not a dancer, but because you can you can kind of do whatever you want mm-hmm. and you're mm-hmm. not bound by, okay, here's the beats and I'm going to take these steps. You know, It's the same way with the music. It keeps the feel very loose, but very funky. Yeah. And I just, I, I love his playing. And oh, by the way, when you hear the high harmonies in that song, not only was Richie the drummer, but he was generally the primary backup singer Oh, really? doing the backing vocals. Oh, that's cool. And if you ever... It, Take some time if you want to spend some more time with Little Feet. Go out and see if you can find some of their Austin City Limits performances or um, if you want to go to Lowell's Time, back uh, the, uh, what is it, the Old Gray? uh, Old Gray Whistle Test. Yes, find some of those or or uh, Midnight Special, any of these. But you won't be able to keep at times from looking at Richie because he is always... Got a smile across his face that you can't help but love, and he and he is just hitting drums and giving us that funky groove and having the time of his life every time you see him. And from from the moment I, I saw a little feet video on VH1 in the mid to late eighties, <laughs> I liked Richie Hayward, and so that's who that's who I wanted to to share with you. Um, if you want to listen to some more uh, some more uh, drumming from Richie with a funky feel, uh, just go to Dixie Chicken and listen to the whole album. But certainly you can listen to Dixie Chicken or Fat Man in the Bathtub, and that'll that'll take care of you. But my second selection is Little Feats, Richie Hayward.
0: Very nice. Well, I'm going to move on to a an American drummer, and actually, I was incorrect in my assessment of my list being mostly british drummers it's actually three british and two american drummers uh this guy speaking of you made the comment about this being a list of dead drummers um this man also died rather early like john bonham did um like keith moon did and i'm not sure richie uh did he die he was in his 60s oh okay well this is a he died at 38 this man i'm about to talk about he came out of nowhere, age 20, to play on one of my favorite albums, and he went on to uh, be recorded all over the place, um, like Seals and Croft, Joe Cocker, Jackson Brown, Boz Gags, Carly Simon, All In Oates, um, anywhere in between, highly recorded drummer. But the album that he um, that brought him to the fore as a session drummer was actually... Katie lied, by Steely Dan, where he played all but one song. I'm talking about Jeff Porcaro, or Porcaro. I think it's Porcaro. I think so. Um, he
1: is. Um, he was awesome. A, he was a child when he recorded Katie. Twenty Lide. years old. <laughs> yep. And he's going in with Don and Walt and playing virtually the entire album. That, that was unusual for them, by the way. Yes, even early in their... They didn't really have a set drummer. Yeah, they, I mean, they did it first, but by the time they got to Pretzel Logic and certainly to Katie Live, they're just using session musicians and to devote virtually the whole album with one drummer, not something they did a lot.
0: And the only the other drummer that they got to play on that album was the legendary Hal Blaine. So Hal Blaine <laughs> and <laughs> Jack Porcaro. Uh, But I'm actually not going to play Steely Dan. I'm going to mention a band that we have not had any mention of at all. And that stands alone on this episode. Unless, I'm not sure if we actually mentioned or featured the Rolling Stones before, have we?
1: Um, Not that I can remember. I'm sure we probably mentioned them. But I don't remember playing a Stones track before this episode. I, I, we may
0: have mentioned them, but I can tell you we have not had any mention of this group or play their music. I'm going to play you one of my favorite songs uh, of the 80s. <laughs> it's kind of, This sounds like a 70s track anyway. I'm talking about Rosanna from Total There you 4. go. I think that's a great song oh absolutely it is it is so it is such a fine recording and the per, the production of it it's just it's a lot of fun there's so much to unpack there
1: you Mitch you mentioned the Rick Beato breakdown of of this that's one that I've definitely seen um always enjoy his what makes this song great which is if you've never watched it if you love music it is awesome he's a guy that just is a very uh, Well-read musician and he's extremely uh, knowledgeable and talented, and he breaks these songs down. And basically, he's just getting giddy over all the different parts. He he
0: is he is one of one of the great discoveries I've made on YouTube in the past couple of years. He's a lot
1: of fun to watch, but yeah. So Jeff Pracaro, going on of course to be one of the founding members of Toto, Mm -hmm. uh, along with his
0: brother Steve, who's still alive and and working and also uh S- Steve Lucather is on this uh, I think he's one of the founding members as well
1: Is it Lucather?
0: I've heard it I've heard it both ways. Did I, don't I know. did I say it Lucather?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It may be Lucather. It's one of those that, that I've read many times. Um
0: either way he goes on to play with the All Star Band, actually. Ringo oh, Starr that's and his right. All Star
1: Band. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. We uh, when we saw Ringo, Steve Lukather was playing with him. I think I'm it was sure he L- was. Uh, okay, but I don't. I don't know for sure. I don't see any definitive thing. Whom, whomever, he, he's the Toto guy. <laughs> yeah,
0: we also have Jim Horn on uh, on saxophone on this. You track talk as about well. a guy you see all Jim over, Horn the, is place all over the place with everybody. But. Jeff Porcaro is, yeah, I think he's great. He, he really is, um, you know, the first musician that I've talked, drummer I've talked about on this episode that's really a session musician. He didn't get into Toto. I mean, he started out doing session stuff. Yeah. And he, this is almost another sort of super group that came together here. But I mentioned earlier, talking about Full in the Rain, how I thought it was a purdy song. And I think this one is also a Purdy song. And Josh, do you know what I mean by that?
1: I mean, it sounds like you're having a stroke.
0: No. um, Unfortunately, no. Uh, <laughs> what are you saying? I'm saying that it's Purdy. And oh, I'm,
1: oh, 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 oh. You know what I'm talking about now. <laughs> Now I thought we were just doing our DP stick. That's a Purdy song. Yeah, because what? you know I have a, a Purdy song. <laughs> you
0: you know I have a strong
1: accent. It's like what was that? What did he just say? I ah, thought you would know what I meant. It's a Purdy song.
0: Yeah, as ah. in Bernard Purdy. Ah, ah. This song and Full in the Rain both actually have a a Bernard Purdy style to it. The Purdy Shuffle. It's kind mm-hmm. of a halftime shuffle. I do know specifically that "Full in the Rain," the drum part was inspired by that directly. Um, uh-huh. sp- um, "Babylon Sisters," which um, would have come after that, um, is you know exemplar is an example of of, of that.
1: Uh, "Home at Last" from Asia yes. is a halftime Purdy shuffle, and seeing Bernard Purdy. So you you've you've brought up Bernard Purdy. So we need to go ahead and talk about Bernard Purdy. I, I have him on my list.
0: I thought you did.
1: But I, I've still got two others I want to talk about. So since you brought it up as part of this, let's just mention a couple of things about, about Bernard Purdy. Um, go to the story that Donald Fagan tells about when they're in the studio. And Bernard Purdy comes in as he did in hundreds and hundreds, thousands of sessions. And sets up two signs. One says, <laughs> you done it. And the other says, you done hired the hit maker, Bernard Pretty Purdy. Because he played on so many. He did. And, and again, like Jacob is referring to, there was a specific beat that he kind of invented. That... It's called the Purdy Shuffle and people will reference it and they will say, you need to play a Purdy Shuffle on this because it's his. So we really can't talk about drummers without at least mentioning Bernard Purdy.
0: I'm sorry if I ruined that for you. Uh, No, you've
1: made it easier because we can talk about him a little bit here as part of your last two selections, but then I can do the other two that I really want to talk about too. So, But I I, I tell you what I would would suggest that you do. Um, We won't... We won't play it on here, but if you you want to see, I highly recommend that you go out and see uh, the part of the Asia documentary where Bernard Purdy is talking about...
0: um, how he came up with Yes, about
1: how he came up with the halftime shuffle. He actually
0: plays it for you. Yes,
1: yes, which is very, very cool. So you can look at that on on YouTube. And you can also look at this. This is five minutes long, so I don't... I don't know that we can play it. Maybe Jacob will want to play a portion of it for you, but I want to play it for him, and I'll let him decide how he wants to proceed with it. Maybe he's seen it before, but um, another thing that Bernard Purdy is known for is what he calls ghost notes. Have you ever gone down that rabbit hole, Jacob? Um, I don't know,
0: actually. Okay. I I think hearing you say ghost notes, I think I know what it is, but I don't really know. Uh, let's let's hear it
1: this is this is an example whatever he chooses to play for you if you want to go see the whole thing there's a five minute video on YouTube uh, of Bernard Purdy talking about ghost notes and it's just great. <laughs> it's so cool so check check out this por- portion of it and then go watch the whole thing.
0: With this video and on through the end of the podcast, you're going to get some extra commentary as the video is being played, and then after the video, maybe some extra stuff before we turn our main mics back on uh, from this secondary mic that's just picking up the room. Ghost notes. I know everybody is
4: wondering when I was going to talk about my ghost notes. Well, I'm going to do it right now. First of all, I'd like you to know where and how they, where they came from, okay? Well, it happened because as I was practicing all the time at home, I used to sit at the drums and do things with my hands. Crazy. And I just had a feeling I was always rocking, always grooving. So as time went on, I started doing things like I was playing timbales or bongos. And this is how I started. And I started to like the sound. As you can see, nothing is ever precise. It's all about allowing your fingers to do the walking. But, I had to do that with sticks. I said, oh, how do I do that with sticks? Da da da. Okay, let me say da da da. Let's see. He's using his fingers and
5: well, the sticks. Works. Oh,
1: that works. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I thought. There's music in that drum beat. watching I think this is fascinating. Alright.
4: Okay. And from there, I had this wait a Well what can I do? Symbols. Well actually Hi hat. Whoa. Yes. But well, the sound was similar, with the hi hat instead of the big cymbals, and it seemed to work, especially with my fingers playing the backbeat on cross stick.
0: That, that is like oh, right. a. Whoa!
4: Then I discovered I got some air in my hi hat. I kind of like that sound. Whoa! <laughs> he has, he's like
2: larger than life kind of guy. It was
4: an accident. Notes. Ooh, I like that. So I started to do a lot more. Now I started to add the back beat. But I still have to remember that the stick had to be moving. Do, 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 do.
1: Hitting the snare in between the snare hits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, that's. Oh, right. Oh. It's just full yeah. of rhythm.
4: This is. And that's how my ghost notes came about. And. Where's
1: my my hi hat? My. Yeah. The greatest video.
0: (laughs) See? Yeah. (laughs) Now, is he saying that he originated that? Because when you said ghost notes, I thought, okay, it's either it's it's an off it's an offhand, it's an implied note, like almost a grace note, Mm -hmm. or it's a continuous something. I didn't know he was doing it with his
1: fingers. Yes, he's he's adding extra beats or hits yeah. in subtle ways. I mean, I just was fascinated when right. I first watched that, yeah. and I saw him with the snare, and you know, how much I have to focus to hit that snare at the right time. And in between it, he's lightly hitting it in syncopated rhythms that are constantly changing. And there, That man, that, that, he has so much rhythm in him. Isn't that a great video though? That's awesome. That's awesome.
0: You, I see that. I see that a lot, Uh, actually. Or you hear it. I didn't know. You know, he came up with that. That's pretty cool. I'm not surprised.
1: Go ahead and just put it in the show, and yeah, and they can skip it if they want to skip it. So,
0: so I'm sorry to have ruined. uh, You know, whenever I said Purdy the first time, you didn't give me anything. Uh, It
1: went. It went over my head. So I
0: thought. I guess I need to go ahead and explain it so that it doesn't sound. So that people are not wondering why would I say that. Because I, I just
1: totally missed it.
0: So but I correctly I correctly guessed that you were gonna talk about Bernard Purdy.
1: Yeah. So um, So what do
0: we want to do now?
1: Well, let let me let me wrap let me wrap this up. And are you through through with Jeff Brickara?
0: I mean I didn't know
1: much of what else to say. Okay, okay. Well this is a transition that we would just get a little bonus Okay. So. So that is Bernard Purdy talking about ghost notes and is, is not that a great a great it's segment su- it's
0: super cool because you, you get informed, you get entertained by Bernard Purdy and his larger-than-life uh, personality. That he is. He's uh, one of those
1: guys that won't hesitate to tell you how great he is without being asked. But, but
0: he's super talented. There's no question about that. What a
1: player. And they're just like, you can't listen to that that segment. And I hope you enjoyed it. It probably goes a little deeper than we normally do into this kind of stuff. But I just, as I hear him add things to that, and it's nothing but drums, it's so musical. You can't sit still.
0: Yeah, he's he's definitely a like the combination of technical prowess and and feel and groove. He's really got it all, I mm-hmm. think. And
1: it's just him. He just figured this stuff out,
0: you know. Well, hey, this as as he said all the time, he spends practicing. You know, you're gonna you're bound to figure some stuff out if you're a guy like that. Just
1: the 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 rhythm flows out of him. That can't be taught.
0: No, it can't. can't be. It can't. It's,
1: it's just in you, and you know. Bernard Purdy, of course, is still alive and still playing today. Uh, in I actually fact, didn't
0: know that. Yeah,
1: he is. Um, in fact, as I was researching for this, I ran across him playing with a band I really like that we've mentioned before called Wolfpeck on a song that he originally played the drums on back in the 70s. Um, check out just a little bit of this. This is Wolfpack with Bernard Purdy doing Steely Dan's Kid Charlemagne. That and that's disgusting. like four or five levels here. This is crazy. It really is. <laughs>
2: I think this is pretty impressive considering the instrumentation. So yep.
1: What do you say it? This is what is so impressive to me about the engineering. <laughs>
2: We got a top box on it
3: too. <laughs>
0: don't you worry you what you don't know is i've been recording this whole thing on my phone the whole time oh, okay very good so basically have the equivalent of b-foot b-roll for oh, this episode Oh,
1: excellent! how'd you like that
0: man that was something else i have never seen anything quite like that
1: so we jacob was mentioning you know we we like to think we do podcasting for the listener but at this point we've devolved into just doing stuff it's to just, amuse each it's other just
0: blurred lines
1: right here <laughs> but, it, I'm glad we included that because there are so many reasons. Obviously, you get to hear Bernard Purdy playing live with a current band, which is cool.
0: And it just so happens that that current band is considered among the greatest young younger musicians
1: around. And like, they are. This band
0: is the tightest band. <coughs> Man,
1: they are so good. That was so fun, but we were particularly amused as suddenly when they get to the solo time, they use Larry Carlton's solo as a basis for it. <laughs>
0: Do it like an Almond Brothers.
1: Yes, it's like All Brothers sounds sounds like, like
0: harmonized.
1: Stevie Dale went to Boston, you know.
0: Which you 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 may you may hear me say, are they gonna is he gonna rip that Larry Carlton solo?
1: Oh just you wait.
0: I didn't know there were two guitarists. You can't see it in this video. This episode is gone. Like we're we've,
1: we're off the rails completely. We, we we want we want a stuffed full episode. You you're waiting two weeks, so we want to give you plenty to listen to. Yeah, you're or, gonna have plenty to listen to. Plenty to, to skip.
0: This is like <laughs> gonna be like two and a half hours long at but this that point. Was
1: superbly fun to get to get to throw Bernard Purdy in there, hear him talk about drums, and then hear him play with Wolf Peck, whom we both love. I hope you enjoyed that half as much as Jacob and I did,
0: man. That that is mind blowing. Golly, <laughs> good
1: good good stuff. So when when you came over to talking about Jeff Percaro, uh you mentioned Hal Blaine because yes. the legendary Hal Blaine was the other drummer that they used for a song or two on Katie Lyde's. You just one talking about one. Okay. Yeah,
0: any world that I'm welcome to.
1: If you. Have heard the name, or if you haven't heard the name Hal Blaine, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me because he's not Charlie Watts or Keith Moon or He's the Wrecking Crew, isn't he? He is. uh, Yeah, I believe he was part of the Wrecking Crew. Um, See, don't get me lying. Hold on.
0: I thought he was. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the Wrecking Crew. There you go.
0: Which, basically, so, by the way, the record crew played all the Beach Boys stuff. Yeah. The Beach Boys didn't do any recordings yeah. besides their voices. Yeah,
1: So, Hal Blaine actually played drums on six consecutive Grammy Record of the Year awards. Six years in a row, from 66 to 71. He was the drummer on Record of the Year every year. He played on 150 U.S. Top 10 singles. And 40 number one, 40 number one records. I mean, so that's the kind you have heard his playing. There is no question. You have heard his playing. Jacob mentioned the beach boys, uh, the birds, uh, mamas and the papas, Frank Sinatra, Johnny rivers, Simon and Garfunkel. I already mentioned, uh, Neil diamond. He played with everybody, but Hal Blaine is not who I had slotted to talk about. Hal Blaine is the guy that bridges the gap. Between Jeff Procaro and the guy I want to talk about, who was also all over everything and played with a lot of these same people, but specifically, he was Hal Blaine's protege. Oh? This guy is somebody that you have heard without... A doubt, but another guy who's not a household name. You have likely heard him playing if you've listened to Derek and the Dominoes or Joe Cocker's Mad Dog and Englishman. Oh, you're talking about Jim Gordon, aren't you? I am talking about Jim Gordon, who also played for Steely Dan and was the principal drummer on Pretzel Logic. And so I want to start there because... One of the lesser-known songs... He played on Ricky Don't Lose That Number. Okay, that's that's Jim Gordon. but Their biggest radio
0: hit, or one of them. Yeah, that so was their
1: biggest radio hit. But the song I want to play is actually the opener of Side 2 on Pretzel Logic, which is a cool little tribute to Charlie Parker called Parker's Band, because the drumming is just really outstanding. Take a listen to this. classic
0: oh you mean we're starting over entirely
1: oh what huh what (laughs) (laughs) what is wrong today as i said that is parker's band (laughs) from steely dan's pretzel logic great one it it's
0: man it's wild it's it's heavy drums yeah he's working he's really working at the whole song
1: but for some reason, despite his great love for them, this seems to have escaped the radar for, for Jacob. He hasn't heard Parker's Band a whole lot.
0: I guess it just, no. Or at least I have not listened to the album in, in full in a long time. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's quite like this, but I can tell you a, a song like Good Night on the White Album, Beatles, I've probably listened to it once, and once is enough for me.
1: I can guarantee you that's the first time anyone has ever compared, in any way, Parker's <laughs> Band and Good Night. <laughs>
0: Only on somebody else's favorite song. That's exactly
1: right. <laughs> but just I, just saying though, along with with showing off Jim Gordon's impressive prowess as a drummer, as it really does the, showcase him protege. That song is also sort of the mini roadmap, in my opinion, for where Steely Dan will go. Because there are a lot of much more straightforward pop rock hmm. songs on Pretzel Logic. I mean. Crystal Logic itself is like a blues show. Yes, yes, absolutely. And you've got you know Night by Night, which we've played on this show before, which is just a a pretty rockin' number. You've got Ricky, Don't Lose That Number, which is... I mean, again, they're not conventional in any way, but the the song that bridges us and gets us to the point where they are really doing, you know, fusing jazz in there, and I don't like to call them fusion because they're not, but...
0: But, you know, to, to separate the meaning of the word from what the word fusion has become. Yes, yes. It does actually, you're right, it does give you a, a taste of what's to come. Because yeah. you have a lot more um, horn elements and, like, weird chord changes and yes. time changes and uh-huh. just different and stuff. little movements
1: within the song. Yes. But they knock that's, it out that's, that's a in, like, point. two and a half minutes. Yeah, they do. So, it's like the blueprint... To me, Parker's Band is the song that bridges Steely Dan A and Steely Dan B.
0: That is um, a fascinating take, Josh. I like that.
1: Again, we do the show for each other. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody cares. Who, who cares about Steely Dan A and B? Well, we do, but <laughs> well, like some of you do, too. <laughs> like 11.3 people do. So, so there you go. So, you know, I could talk more about, about Jim Gordon uh, if I were going to play another song. Uh, you know, Jim Gordon was in traffic with Steve Winwood for sure a couple was. of years and plays the drums on the Low Spark of High Hill Boys. In fact, Jacob, go ahead and play all 12 minutes of the Low Spark of High Hill. Boys. No, I don't okay. think I'll do that, okay. but that is a good one. <laughs> and is a And it's great, a really it? nice
0: jam band song as it well.
1: It is. And he's great on that too. Uh, sadly, uh, Jim Gordon technically is still alive, but he has not been drumming in a very long time because in the oh, 70s he's in prison he well he's in, he's imprisoned in a medical facility oh okay in, in the late 70s i forgot about this he developed paranoid schizophrenia and he heard voices and at the time they just diagnosed him with alcoholism but he heard voices and in particular heard the voice of his mother a lot And in 1983, he murdered his mother uh, with a hammer and a butcher knife in a very brutal type thing. Um, And has since he's he actually was sentenced to 16 years to life, and has been eligible for parole many times. But from from my reading, uh, he has to be very carefully. Uh, maintained with medications and if he he can't get off of them and requires care so it it's a brilliant brilliant talent protege of Hal Blaine plays with all of these wonderful players becomes a very sad uh, sad end for for things that that happened there but that's one of those guys whose names you should know oh He played the piano coda, the piano coda coda on Layla on the Dominoes, and was credited as writing it. He is the one. Jim Gordon is the one that brought that to the Layla song. Oh, okay. So he, however, there are those who insist, interestingly, that he did not write it. That his girlfriend Rita Coolidge wrote it.
0: Rita Coolidge was yes, his girlfriend. Was his girlfriend. That's and interesting.
1: He brought it in and did not give give credit on it, and that has been uh, agreed to by other people. There was a name I can't remember who it was, but somebody who later dated Rita, Rita Coolidge agreed that she actually wrote it. But however, it ended up there. That's. That's who brought it there. And it's obviously one of the the, the biggest, um, most notable piano codas in all of rock history. And it was Graham Nash, who later dated Coolidge, that said, yes, Rita Coolidge wrote that. But anyway. Okay.
0: So I didn't actually know this that the songwriting credits for the entire song are given to Clapton and Gordon. Yeah. So really, it should have been Clapton and Coolidge. And if it was. Clapton and Coolidge, then she would have made herself a good bit of money over the over the years.
1: That sounds like a law firm. Sounds Clapton like, and Coolidge.
0: Yeah, Clapton and Coolidge and associates.
1: <laughs> and associates. All right. My associate, my equal partner, the esteemed Robot Jacob, what do you have for your next drummer?
0: Well, I'm going to take the opportunity to... Uh, shoehorn in somebody that me and Joel agree is great. Josh hates him so much with a burning passion. Um, um, How do we have to do this? <laughs> uh, this this the drummer is Neil Peart and the song is "Tom Sawyer" by Rush. No, it isn't, um, actually, but you will be hearing the song in the background, as you heard many times plugged in the last episode. Uh, Neil Peart is one of the great drummers, I have to say. He really is. Um, But I'm going to talk about um, Charlie Watts' touring successor, um, Steve Jordan. I've already mentioned him earlier, but yes, he has taken over as the Mm -hmm. drummer for the Stones on this tour, at least. And I imagine if they had two or any more, then they'll probably get him. Steve Jordan is a very interesting character. He is way older than I thought that he was. (laughs) Um, But he has been um, around since the 70s. He played with um, the Blues Brothers. Um, 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 um. Come on, get it together, man. Quit, Quit saying that. Uh, he has recorded with George Benson, with Booker T and the MGs. He's played drums on all the Keith Richards albums. Uh, he's played with Bruce Springsteen. He has played with Neil Young, Don Henley on The End of the Innocents. Um. So, a lot of guys. And not to mention, he is a um, much lauded producer. He produced, uh, let's see, I want to make sure I get the he co-produced the John Mayer album, Continuum, with, along with John Mayer.
1: I getting um, all the Josh hits here, aren't we? And
0: has been um, associated with John Mayer a lot, toured with John Mayer a lot. And yes, I want the opportunity to talk about a John Mayer song.
1: Oh, jeez.
0: <laughs> I'm going to give you um, a song from the John Mayer trio, which has put out a live album called Try. I think it was about 2005 let, or six. Let me just
1: say real quick, so as I'm making noises back here in the background so that people will understand, I, Joel and Jacob both love John Mayer. Just absolutely love John Mayer. And I think he is a great player. But he is an example of someone whose voice just does not work for me. Like so much so that it gives me a visceral reaction. I don't... Hate it like I hate Rush because I just think that cacophonous sound they make sounds horrible. That is he's, foolish. He's clearly—that's my you, opinion. You are being hyperbolic. That is my opinion. But I don't—I don't feel that way about John Mayer. I—I I recognize the talent and the ability to write a whether it's a hooky thing or a or, or front of blues trio, whatever. I understand all of that. His voice is just great. It, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. So it's not the same thing. I don't. hate him i just can't listen to him so well i here here we go i'm gonna try to not
0: i invite josh to leave the room while i play for you a song called who do you think i was this is john mayer with steve jordan on the drums and pino Palladino on bass and by the way this is a super group if there ever was one Uh
1: So pretty cool. I, I actually enjoyed that. Um, the The visceral reaction to his voice is lessened by by quite a bit with the stunning and stellar musicianship of all three of those oh, guys. Oh yeah, that's it's, that, uh, it's that's awesome. Pretty great.
0: I think this is one of the songs they did. They put, like I said, this live album called "Try," mm-hmm. and there's a couple of covers. I think they do uh, like "Bold as Love," and they do. Um,
1: did. Did he cover Wait Until Tomorrow?
0: Yes, that's that's. I was trying to think of the name of that Wait Until Tomorrow. That's a
1: great song. Um, it seems like Joel played for me his yeah. co- covering Wait Until Tomorrow.
0: Yeah, they covered that and some John Mayer songs, but then there was three or four that they that they specifically wrote and recorded, mm-hmm. which is one. Of, this is one of them. And as you mentioned, it's very Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, yeah, it's, the structure it's of that a, song a frenetic blues, yeah. you know, and. I I'll grant that John Mayer doesn't have exactly the right voice for being a blues musician in the in the Stevie Ray Vaughan vein. You know, there's actually videos of him younger John Mayer playing with Double Trouble. Oh, really? Um, but it doesn't it doesn't make it out quite right. He just doesn't have the voice. Uh-huh. He can play Stevie Ray Vaughan, but he can't sing Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of fun. And you have Steve Jordan on display here. He is a a very powerful drummer, but also he is very simple. He doesn't do anything flashy. Um, very lo-fi. You hear um, the way his drums are recorded on Continuum, say, um, or John's um, album Before Last, The Search for Everything. But he definitely plays in the pocket, and he is he moves him along, and so he would fit very well um, standing in for Charlie Watts. Yeah, I can totally um, see that. But, yeah, he's, outside of being a great drummer, like I already said, he is a producer and a, a band leader and a music director, and so he's had his hands in a lot of stuff, but he, he has a particular style that I like, and even you can't hear it as much on that on this video, the, the live recording, but he also has a very specific drum sound. The snare is very different. It's high-pitched a little bit and kind of hollow sounding. But, anyway... Uh, I really wanted to talk about him for several reasons. Like I said, taking over for during playing with the Stones and also his involvement with John Mayer. So that's Steve Jordan for you there.
1: Awesome. Love it.
0: So are we going um, around the bend we to... We
1: are. Is this going to be your final drummer? Yes. This will be my, my final selection. And for for this one, I, I don't know that i would say that i am just real intimately familiar with this individual's band's music i've certainly listened to a lot of it there are songs that i like very very much that everybody knows and they're a band that whenever i i hear any of it i like it always like it um But they are probably the quintessential musicians, musicians. The drummer for this band came from Arkansas. Really? But the rest of the band came from Canada. So he was the only U.S. guy in the band.
0: Oh, you're talking about the band, aren't yes. you?
1: <laughs> LeVon Helm. LeVon Helm, of course. Yes, I'm talking about LeVon Helm, whose name was actually not LeVon. Uh, <laughs> he hooked up with some people who could not correctly pronounce his middle name, which I want to get it correct here. He was Mark LeVon Helm. But they, wouldn't, they couldn't say LeVon. They called him LeVon. So he just started going by LeVon. And as with many of these other people we talked about... Um, people like we've mentioned Ringo, uh, Keith Moon, uh, several of these guys. Drummers tend to get into acting. Richie Hayward was a TV actor. Levon Hill had a very successful career as an actor. After I think
0: I remember that. Yeah, he
1: was in Coal Miner's Daughter. He was in The Right Stuff uh, at major roles. You know, and uh, so what I wanted to do in talking about Levon is several episodes ago we talked about singing drummers. And just very briefly, I think it, it wasn't a major point. but No, but it's hard to do. I, I, yeah. Singing basses, very difficult. Singing drummers, that's why they're such a rare bird to to do well. And what I really ultimately just wanted to do is get down to talking about the last waltz. Uh, if, if you, listener, have not seen Martin Scorsese's The Last Watch, uh, Waltz, excuse me, The Last Waltz, it is a document covering the band's farewell tour, excuse me, farewell concert, held on Thanksgiving Day in 1976, and many, if not most people, uh, will cite it as the finest concert film that has ever been made. Uh, You've got Eric Clapton, you've got Ringo, you've got Van Morrison, you've got I couldn't possibly begin to list all the people that sit in and play with the band. And, of course, the band plays in in their classic lineup for the last time ever here. Levon Helm, Robbie Robertson, Rick Danko, Richard Manuel. Those are your guys. And there they are playing. And Levon was not real happy with the outcome of the last waltz because Robbie Robertson and who's kind of a tool. <laughs> and I, I kind of gather that. Uh, made it appear that he was a little more involved than he really was, like it was sort of Robbie Robertson in the band. You make no mistake, the The principal voices of the band were Richard Manuel and Levon, Levon Helm. Helm. And when, e- even though, like on Music from Big Pink, Richard sings most of the stuff. In fact, they even said, as they show Robbie and in, in, in the last while singing, that his mic isn't even turned on. <laughs> <laughs> really? And he's always preening for the camera. But, but, but what I want you to see is two examples of, and I was going to pick one, and I cannot possibly pick because they demonstrate two completely different things. Two different examples of Levon up front singing and playing. First, we're going to talk about his... The definition of a groove is this first song. And this is the last waltz version of Up on Cripple Creek. And then from there, I'm going to go straight into it nothing short of a religious experience, seeing the band live, listening to Levon Drum and Sing, the power behind The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. Listen to these.
2: Have you watched
0: these before? at one time I probably have. I you know, I do know that the whole the last waltz thing is so big, like there's even a Robbie Robertson signature the last waltz guitar.
5: Uh-huh. Attention, foodies, with this fusion of prime rib steak, melted provolone, and other magical melty stuff, Arby's is now officially a fusion restaurant. Chef smooch.
0: You are such a you are such a barbarian for, for not paying for ads, actually. Oh, okay.
5: Get off of this mountain You know where I wanna go Uh, she sends me if I spring a leak. Uh, she defends me I don't have to speak uh, She defends me a drunkard's dream If I ever did see one Well now me and my mate We're back at the shack a donut in my tea I'm going up on Cripple Creek now She sends me if I spring a leaf She mends me, I don't have to speak, but she defends me and drummers free if I ever did see one Never a out in California and up north it's freezing cold Listen, off of the road, is getting pretty old. So I guess I'll call up my big mama and tell her I'll be rolling in. But you know, deep down, I'm sort of tempted to go and see my bestie again. I'm going up on Cripple Creek. She sends me in my spring of loop. She means me, I don't have a she
2: defends me a drunkard's dream If my ever
1: This is just. Even at home, we explored all kinds of places. Like couch. I refuse to pay YouTube! Book an American Airlines flight on AA.com using your MasterCard. It, it's become a it's become a battle of wills at this point. Well, as
0: a student, I've been paying $5 for it forever, it's worth it. I believe it. stuff
1: i just absolutely love it you cannot watch at least i cannot watch levon singing and playing i can't take my eyes off of it but there is just something about the emotion the passion and the joy of playing music that i feel when i watch levon
0: i don't know if i have it's been a long time since i've seen these videos but you know it drives home how incredible it is you know to play and sing, to play drums and sing. I mean, because when you're playing the drums, you, you know, it's involved. It's very technical. Mm-hmm. You're keeping the time. You're playing the right beat. And then on the other hand, you're singing, which is something that's so abstract in comparison, and, really.
1: And you to have, be able have to, to do remember both the words. You have to remember the melody. You have to have the timing. And it's so easy to mess up vocals,
0: but he never made a mistake there. No, it's perfect, and he sings so expressively. Mm-hmm. Man, it that's incredible! That's incredible! I absolutely.
1: absolutely we're gonna have love to. We're those. gonna have
0: to post that on on. Um, uh, I, I think on the page. we. I think
1: we should. Of course, Levon would go on to be in the inaugural version of Ringo Starr and his All Star Band, and then later would. Um, sort of reformed the band and put out another couple albums. It was actually just him and Rick because Richard Manuel committed suicide, of course, uh, in the late 80s, and Robbie Robertson separated from them. But in their 96 album, I think, the one with the pig's head on it, they I can't think of what it's called, but uh, I think the lead track on that is uh, Levon and Rick singing Stand Up by Bruce Chanel. So really, yeah, that's that's pretty cool that they, they wow. covered uh, Bruce's. That's one cool. Of Bruce's songs I didn't know so, that. Uh, here's a little more trivia for you. Uh, when The Last Waltz was filmed in 1976, uh, Levon Helm was in the midst of about a 10 year relationship with a woman named Libby Titus. Does that name ring a bell to you?
0: Yes, Donald Fagan's yes. Uh, wife.
1: <laughs> she's, she's been Donald Fagan's <laughs> wife for the last 20 years. So she had significant relationships in her life with Levon Helm and Donald Fagan, <laughs> which couldn't really be two different guys. Oh, my gosh. I mean. <laughs>
0: wow. That's interesting.
1: <laughs> uh, she, of course, a musician in her own right, a singer, released an album back, way back in 1968 called uh, Libby Titus. And then later, she released another album uh, about ten years later, and the title of that album was Libby Titus. It's <laughs> two albums. Eponymous. The same name. <laughs> Eponymous two. <laughs> so you got to be, you know, got to spend that much time with Donald Fagan, You know, incidentally, we should give her credit though, because it was a lot of her encouragement that got him playing live again, that ultimately allowed Don and Walter to to reform. That was a lot due to her. And we wouldn't have two against nature and everything must go. Maybe not even Morph the Cat and Sunken Condos. Much, much less 20 years of touring and getting to see them. That's pretty cool. So there's maybe she's not Patty Boyd, but if you exact some influence over Levon Helm and Donald Fagan, that's top of a pretty high mountain in my book.
0: That's yeah. That's I didn't know that.
1: I'm. I'm not even before before Jacob finishes up with his list. I'm not even going to try to remember what all songs and and clips and everything that I yeah. Put well, you're you're going to
0: need to remember because you're about to download them <laughs> for me.
1: <laughs> but the I, fact of the matter is, uh, I think I love drummers even more than I thought I did. They, this has is,
0: this is turned into a a episode where much passion has been displayed much, on both of our parts. On both parts. On much both passion. sides.
1: Loving the drummers,
0: and that's so great, Josh, because you've basically given me seventy-two hours to 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 edit this, and I'm going to be struggling to finish in time. So,
1: well, then I'll 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 get us to the end and hear. Well, it I'm doesn't excited. it doesn't it
0: doesn't matter now. We've already been going for I mean, <laughs> two and a half hours by now. I'm excited
1: to hear Jacob's last selection because we have talked about so many different people that I. This is going to be... I don't I don't know. I don't have a guess of who it could
0: well, be. Well, I already gave it away in an outtake. Oh, um, oh, oh, oh. Uh, I have got to talk about Ringo Starr. Fair enough. And Ringo Starr is the reason that I was interested in drums. You know, the Beatles are really, thinking back on it, you know, they're the main influence for my wanting to become a musician. Yes. Like wanting to play guitar. Me too. Outside of the fact that... Um, my grandfather, who passed away when I was a few months old, he loved to play guitar and sing, and he had this guitar. He had his. My mom kept his guitar, and I always wanted to play it. But outside of that, the Beatles were the reason that I, I do what I do. Absolutely, you know, guitar, bass, drums. That's why
1: I learned keys. piano. That's why I learned drum. so. Or, excuse me, uh, guitar. You did it twenty years after me. Yeah. I did it twenty years after them.
0: Yeah, and here we are doing a podcast, um, which, you know, I think you and I both agree, it flows from the Beatles. It does. So how could I not talk about Ringo Starr? Uh, You all know who he is. He is, you know, he may may not be the greatest drummer, but he is one of the most famous, one of the most famous drummers ever. And has made a name for himself with the Beatles and after them. We've mentioned the All-Star Band. He's able to put together a great group of musicians that he likes to go out and, and have fun, all in the name of peace and love. So, for 30 years for 30 he's years. been doing
1: that. <clears throat> he drummed for the Beatles for eight. Eight.
0: <laughs> yep. But I'm going to actually take it down a notch um, with a uh, with my song choice. And there are a lot of innovative things that Ringo has
1: done. Absolutely. Uh,
0: and by the way, Ringo is a left-handed a person who plays the drums right-handed, and that is actually how I came to it as well.
1: Well, he plays um, on a right-handed kit, so yeah. Um, if you if you know anything about drumming as a right-hander, you would generally play the hi-hat with your dominant hand, and your, you, would, your you would
0: cross over your left hand,
1: and yes, over the top of your left hand, which is playing the snare, and then when you go around the toms, you would lead with your right hand and your left hand would follow, Um, which for some reason I'm miming even though you can't see me and (laughs) Jacob already knows what I'm talking about. But (laughs) Ringo's left-handed, so he's playing that way. So when he goes to go around the toms, he leads with his left hand, and so the right hand drags behind it, and it makes it sound different.
0: I don't know why he did that. I can't recall because it's it's not like it's a left or right-handed guitar. Um, to switch your drums into playing it left-handed is
1: very easy to yeah, do. You don't have to buy so, a different set. You just arrange them different. Yeah, so I'm not really sure how it came to that. But a lot of times back then, and I think that maybe Ringo was an example of of one of those, where people were left-handed. They would force to do things well, right-handed. That,
0: that is true as well. It could, be that, it could be that maybe he went to a store or whenever he got drums, like he went to somebody and they told him how to do it, and that's yeah. how they did it. And so it. that's
1: how, how he learned. But he would still want to lead with that that dominant hand now something else that does is ringo really swings we talk about swing he, he does. really swings he does but maybe that's because he's not using his dominant arm on the hi-hat like you or i would well i don't imagine you having to swing imagine you having to play steady with your left hand or your right hand well i do but well, no with your left you know you're left-handed too you do the same thing i just i just said that <laughs> that's right
0: I don't know the reason. The reason that I do it that way is because when I first was playing with the band at a church, uh, the drums were electronic and they were set up a certain way, and they uh, couldn't they couldn't be switched. Ah. Uh, uh-huh. So I learned, uh, but
1: there was there was no for me reason to be for him exact on a symbol. Yeah, with, with, with your non dominant with my non dominant hand, and also he doesn't play the hi hat up and down.
0: No, he swipes. That is something that's so different. I that don't see anybody else doing that. Very
1: Ringo. He swipes his hand it's, back it's, and forth. It's kind of weird.
0: It's kind of weird. It's not very efficient at all, I have
1: to say. But it gives it, again, a unique sound. I mean, but it sounds like Ringo.
0: I am going to play a song by The Three Tools. Uh, and, I, well, let me go back. Uh, Josh may have already mentioned that, you know, when you think of Ringo Starr and you think of the... the a, a display of his technicality and his skill would be a song called Rain... And yes, it is full of fills, a very classic with the hi-hat. His favorite Um, performance of his. Yes. Also, A Day in the Life is a very fine example of his drumming. It's
1: a clinic of how to play intelligently and Mm. tastefully.
0: And then so is Long, Long, Long. And I know we've talked about that. It was featured way back when.
1: Uh, One of our Beatles episodes.
0: And so now I'm going to play, like I said, a song by the Threadles. John is really not on this track. Um, It is a fantastic display of all three of their talents. It is something. Everybody knows this is a great uh, display of talent on Paul's part. Mm-hmm. Um, a great solo by George Harrison on guitar and a great vocal by George. It's a George song, one of his best that he did with the Beatles. Absolutely. Um, but I, this is kind of an underrated one for Ringo, I feel like, ah. because he, again, is playing very intelligently. Uh, spare. There's yes. not much going on during the. Um, you know, the verse parts. Yeah. It's um, almost ornamental. It is. In it, much the same way that those fills are at the beginning of Day in the Life yeah. and Long, Long, Long. I agree with that. Um, and then you go into that, the part before the solo, you're asking me, will my love grow? I don't know. Yeah, yeah the, the, um, he's da, 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 yeah doing it's rolls da, 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 on da, 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 the toms uh-huh. um, and then over to the hi-hat. So it's it's really interesting. Uh, it's a great example he, of what he
1: can bring to a song.
0: He, well, and that's, you know, I guess it's a big cliche, but you know, he serves the song. Hmm. He serves the song. He approaches every song with, you know, a fresh mind. It seems like there's he's done so many things over over the Beatles' you know catalog.
1: And and never played the same thing twice. Like if you listen to studio takes, or, no, the, or, or, yeah, back to back takes, it a little different every time.
0: He's not interested in he's not interested in in coming up with one thing and then just trying to perfect it when it comes to you know coming up with the song. He wants to, you know, like you think of Ticket to Ride. That's another one that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Single-pated, um, and he, there. he even plays
1: every different every verse different. He does. You know, he used Paul's idea the first time around, but then he changes it the other two times.
0: He he wasn't you know overly technical. He just wanted to, he just wanted to you know hear what they were playing, and then he wanted to come up with something to go with it. So, you know, play like
1: Ringo is something that you hear a lot. Mm -hmm. and he was innovative. First player to play with the drums elevated higher on the stage. Mm -hmm. First to dampen the bass drum with a towel or the snare drum with a tea towel. Uh, Put a pack of cigarettes, get different kinds of drum sounds. Mm -hmm. Um, Ringo's integral to that. Ringo's integral to uh, the overhand play style, which is something we've not talked about. Is he now? Is the... Overhand grip versus a traditional grip.
0: Oh, you're talking where, about grip style, yeah? Yeah,
1: where you um, traditional would play with the that's, your left hand upside down.
0: That's that's matched matched grip versus traditional grip. Yes, matched. Matched grip is you know like if you see some drumsticks and you just innately pick them up and hold them. You know, each in in yes, your hand. Yes, same way. That's that's um, the way most rock drummers play. But you have a guy like Charlie Watts, whose background is in jazz. He plays the traditional, which is that your dominant hand um, will be you will be holding the stick underhanded, and then the other. No, your offhand. The offhand is is upside down. Uh, is yeah, you hold it yeah. underneath. Well, you hold you put your hand underneath the drum, and it kind of angles. It's hard to describe on on a on an audio if, <laughs> podcast. If you, if
1: you watch the Levon Helm clips,
0: he's playing um, traditional yes, grip. He's playing traditional. Grip. I was going to point that out as well.
1: Um, like you said, uh, you just mentioned somebody Charlie else. Watts. Yeah, Charlie Watts does. Uh, also, of these guys, Stan Lynch, uh, did, Stan Lynch did. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
0: But the majority of rock drummers, you're going to see him do. But, a, but that was a match that
1: Ringo really started.
0: I don't. I don't know if I knew that or you know,
1: I just forgot. He was the first. Pr- Prominent one because if you watch those 50s bands play, every single drummer's playing traditional. Gear. That's because all those Always. guys,
0: the rock and roll was new. Yes, it was new they, and they were
1: coming out of yeah, jazz and, jazz everything and else, R&B so. whatever. so Golly, that, we've talked a lot about drumming and drummers. Yeah, we have. And, man, uh, if you're still listening, Great! You're, you're very courageous. You're, you're a true fan <laughs> You are a true we fan. this has turned
0: out. This episode turned out a lot different than what I expected.
1: Uh, it. I agree, but it was so much fun. We went down some rabbit holes and talked about so many awesome musicians that we love, and it was it was great, man. It was. Uh, I talked uh, about Keith Moon. I talked about Richie Hayward. I talked about uh, Jim Gordon. I talked about Levon Helm, and then together we talked about Charlie Watts and Bernard Purdy. We did. And Jacob talked about...
0: I talked about... Who did I talk about? Let's see. We got John Bonham. We got Ringo Starr. We have Steve Jordan. We have Jeff Porcaro. And then...
1: Absolutely. That's your four.
0: Oh, that's my... That's right. Absolutely. Sorry. there's four there so So
1: all all together um four and four and those two we've got we've talked about at least 10 drummers yeah we have got a little background on some other people in there but it's just all drummers all the time so we we love our drummers and as as Jackson Brown once said we get down to the end of the night and the drummer sweeps the girl away
0: Yes, he did say that.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, more importantly, we love you, the listener. Absolutely, because, and thanks uh, for joining us. Your your feedback and your continued um, you know listening, uh, it's been a lot of fun. We would not do it. We would not have continued for. This is our twentieth mainline episode. We've probably recorded what ten or fifteen more episodes besides. At least. We might be nearing 35 or 40 episodes yeah. total, but we would not have done it if it were not for you. Uh, we're not trying to um, be, say that we have a huge following, but we have people who listen to us every week, and they love what we're doing. Um,
1: we have a quality following. We, we do. I know that. We do. <laughs> and we appreciate you. We
0: have a little niche, and we have people who listen, and it's because of that that we keep going. On top of just doing this because we... We enjoy um, just doing this thing together.
1: Right. That's exactly right. And it's very much a, a glimpse into the kinds of conversations that Jacob and I, um, or Jacob and Joel, or Joel and me, whomever, will have from time to time. In fact, uh, Jacob and Sarah were over. I think it was last weekend, and we were all sitting outside. And, and we're, just, we're
0: and, talking about uh, all things must pass, yeah, yeah. 50th anniversary yeah. release.
1: And, and I was just sitting there thinking while we are talking, I was like, really, we ought to be rolling tape on this because we could use it. Well, you know,
0: <laughs> that's the crux of how we got into it. was it We would just sit in the living room and talk about the same stuff we're talking about now. Um, we get to, um, for better or worse, immortalize it permanently in, in history. Mm. So, anyway.
1: Eventually. It'll have a million plays.
0: Yeah. Eventually.
1: <laughs> we'll all be long dead. But
0: <laughs> no, but we, no, but we do have several thousand, and that's pretty cool. Uh,
1: that, is, that is very, very cool. Thanks a lot for being here, everyone. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode. But until then, I've been Josh.
0: I'm Jacob. This
1: is Somebody, somebody else's, else's Favorite, favorite
0: Songs. songs. You have done it. You have made it through our 20th and longest episode. Longer by about 40 minutes from... (laughs) I don't remember which episode. We thank you for taking the time. As I said, it was a crazy one, but it was fun to uh, make for y'all. We hope you'll check us out on Facebook. Give us a like and uh, follow us for uh, news and updates and, and various information. Also, find us on sefs.show, and most importantly, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, give us a rating and a review, and want to add that we are available almost every other place you can find podcasts. We hope you'll join us next time. Thank you.
1: I've found absolutely no hard evidence that points to Corporal Klinger's guilt. Oh, oh no, no, that's that yeah, yeah, sure, he's obviously a top-notch finagler and con artist, but the army's full of those. Oh, uh, this
5: calls for another round. Rosie?